Hey, hey, and welcome to this, the 4D Recruitment Method podcast with me, Jeremy Snell. Join me as we unpack ideas, tactics, and processes to help you grow your business. Hey, we're banging into episode two with what I think is a biggie. It is a biggie for every single recruitment business and every single recruitment desk, for every single consultant. It's big. I I hope I've got the message across that I think that what I'm about to share with you is big for many of you, right? Because what I'm going to share is observationally what I see as being the four biggest contributors to low productivity. These are fee robbers. These are placement thieves. These are the, the, the robbers of joy from your business. And they ride through your business every day looking for somebody who is vulnerable enough to invite them into their head. So these four things that I'm going to talk to you about, they're actually entities, right? They, they are the four horsemen of the apocalypse, And the four horsemen of the apocalypse used to go by the names of death, famine, war, and pestilence. They've changed their names to keep up with the times, right? They've gone a bit more Gen Z on us, right? Because those four names were probably a little bit too old-fashioned. So having changed their names, these four horsemen now ride through the universe looking for vulnerable recruiters who are primed and ready to invite them into their head to then allow them to manage their desk and ultimately crush their productivity. Do I have your attention? So let's talk about these four horsemen and let's unpack a little bit as to what they look like and how they get invited into your business and let's start to think about being the demon slayer who rids them from the organization and banishes them from the heads of our consultants. So let's take a look at horseman number one. So horseman number one is called complacency. Complacency is a funny beast because complacency can rear its head in different formats. Complacency will definitely prey on that consultant who is super proud of all of the achievements last month. Big biller, lots of interviews, And it goes to their head a little bit and they become a bit complacent. Maybe they dial down on other activities that contribute to future success. We've all seen those consultants who have a great month and then a month and then sometimes a bad month. Those two months on the back of the big month, they were created by complacency sometimes. By somebody thinking they know what they're doing. They now have lightning coming out of their fingers. Everything that they touch turns into a deal. And it goes to their head. And as it goes to their head, complacency lands and starts to take control. But complacency is an agile creature because complacency may also look at somebody who is doing less well. And this person has now invited complacency in because they're comparing themselves to others. But they're comparing themselves to others by looking at who is still behind me. Well, I know I didn't do my sales calls, but she did less than I, or he did less than I. So it's not like I'm at the back of the pack. So there is this complacency that because I'm not the worst, I should feel okay. 
And sometimes there's a complacency about a market. The complacency that kicks in that apparently it's difficult to find this type of candidate. So it's okay that I only found one person for this role that I'm working on, rather than achieving the goal of finding three. And because I'm now starting to accept that there is a market condition that I can blame for what I'm doing, I may not put as much energy or as much effort or as much thought into what I'm doing. So complacency once again grabs the steering wheel and starts to drive the desk. So complacency, complacency is pretty abundant. Complacency takes many forms. It's really important if we want to help people to get out of that position of complacency. They take far more control over the things that they're doing now that will improve the quality of results or could have an impact on what their future looks like. That person who has a really good month does also need to be thinking about what are you doing to ensure that you are still having good months in two months time? A sales pipeline, a client roster, a demand forecast, a way to be able to ensure that they are fully engaged with an audience to be able to know who is buying this month, who will be buying next month, and who will be buying the month after, so that they can see with more certainty exactly what's in front of them. If they're too fixated on today and today's deals, or this week and this week's interviews, or simply closing out the month strong, then their ability to do long-range forecasting is actually inhibited by their level of complacency, which is all about getting stuff done today. So helping people to think more long-term, helping people to think a little more proactively, helping people to recognise that they can focus on the controllables. And actually the things that they're doing today should be influencing far more than just the results of today. They should be making next week easier. They could be creating an easier next quarter if they were allocating the right time and attention to the right tasks, to the right standard. But hey, the other thing that complacency does, when it inhabits their body and it possesses them, it sometimes removes that rational thought and start to see it as being criticism rather than assistance. Because they've had a really good month. What does it matter if I didn't do my sales calls? I put £40,000 into the bank. But without activity this month, it may decrease the probability, not guarantee the probability, but decrease the probability that next month they're less likely to do that 40000 again. And the month after they may be less likely to do that 40000 so helping people to see the bigger picture helps to be able to protect them from that level of complacency. The second of the horsemen is the one that I call assumption. An assumption is all over the place. Assumption could be in the portfolio of things that they believe about their candidates. They may be making assumptions because this candidate is interested in this job then this candidate will definitely take this job. They may also be of the opinion that the candidate really likes the client, the client really likes the candidate, so it's a deal. And people who suffer from assumption end up becoming what I call deal watchers. And they just watch to see if the deal is gonna happen rather than do things to be able to test or do things to be able to orchestrate a higher probability of success. 
And sometimes those consultants, when you ask them for their fee forecast, and I'm deliberate with my words there, right? There is a difference between a forecast and a prediction. So when you ask them for a forecast, they're probably gonna give you a prediction. And their prediction will always average being higher than a forecast. Because a forecast would be, I have 10 jobs which are now all moving forwards with either CVs or interviews taking place. And as a forecast, I typically feel one in three of the jobs that I work on. So I'm predicting, I'm forecasting that I'm going to fill three vacancies. And I don't know which three it's going to be, but the law of averages tell me I fill 30% of my jobs. My total work in progress is worth 200 grand. So I reckon I've got 60,000 pounds worth of business that is likely to drop this month. Forecast. Prediction, different. He's so up for that job, he's definitely going to get it. He's going back for a third interview this week, so I know that's going to be an offer. Put that one in the bank. There's 10. She has got no other jobs on the go. She's unemployed and she's got a second interview on that job. She's definitely getting it because the client said they really liked her. So that's in the bank. Put me down for another 20. So a prediction is where somebody looks at probability based upon sometimes gut feel and sometimes feedback as to who's going to get which job. So their prediction ends up looking like an accumulator at bet 365. Because if he gets that and she gets this and he gets that and they offer him, then that means I'm on for a hundred grand. So their prediction outperforms the forecast because perhaps the forecast includes candidates who taciturn and reject jobs or take counter offers. Predictions don't have that in place. So that assumption that started with one assumes this candidate is interested because they're going for an interview, one assumes because the client said we really like her, bring her back for another interview, that means they're going to offer her, or surely if they really liked her enough and they're bringing her back to offer her the job, why don't they just offer her the job? And don't say it's just because their process means they have to do that third interview. There's a reason they're doing the third interview. And if you've decided to turn blind in one eye to not discover the purpose of that third interview, it could cause you an issue in your accumulator. And we know with accumulators, the probability of them coming in is low, which is why the odds are so high. But when they come in, uh, uh, they come in big. And then there are other assumptions. Assumptions they may have around customers. Oh, I've worked with them for a long time. They give me all of their jobs. So if they were hiring, they would call me. Oh, there's a lead at that company. Let me call my contact. I'll ask my contact what they know and we'll treat them as being the only way in and out of that business because one would assume that they know everything that's going on in every other department and therefore have their finger on the entire pulse of the business and would be able to tell me categorically who is, who isn't, and where they're up to in those processes. Right, so these assumptions, dangerous in forecasting because they become predictions, dangerous in account management because we start to over-invest our perception of how much our client likes us, which sometimes becomes the reason why a senior consultant leaves. They think they're going to take all of their clients with them. And like Jerry Maguire, all they leave with is the goldfish. So let's not 
overly assume that because the client has paid us money that they really like working with us. Let's not make assumptions that because we've done three placements there, we're now entitled to the fourth, the fifth, the sixth, the seventh ad infinitum. And let's not make assumptions that actually our sales activity has been digested and read because if we assume that because I sent that email, if they wanted to work with us, they'd have got back to us. If I assume that because I sent them that LinkedIn message and they didn't respond to it, they must not be interested. And when you say to them, hey, how are you getting on with that lead? And they say, oh yeah, I'll email them again. Assumption has taken a proper stranglehold on this consultant's perceptions as to what their job is in terms of purpose. And if that's you that I'm talking to as a consultant, rid the demon from your body and maybe pick up the phone or try a different channel or a different media. The third of our horsemen is called procrastination. Procrastination is a wily mofo because what procrastination does is it can sometimes give you professional excuses as to why not now. It doesn't say never, it just says, hey dude, you're not really in the mood for doing that BD stuff, so why don't you just tidy up that job? Why don't you just catch up with that client? Why don't you just look busy doing something else? Because tomorrow morning, you're gonna feel like being the beast. So why don't you wait until you're in beast mode tomorrow and park the BD for today? Or procrastination says, you know that little thing that you need to do? Like tell that candidate they didn't get the job? It's such a little job, why don't you do that later? Why don't you just finish doing this, right? And so procrastination doesn't always mean we're saying to ourselves, I'm not gonna do that thing. We professionally procrastinate by giving ourselves reason and purpose as to why now isn't optimum, but we can definitely see a time when it will be optimum. And then those things, they just get kicked further and further down the line and nothing really happens with them. So if you are a procrastinator, it's important that you start your day with action. Create a good to-do list that starts with a well-planned list of people that you are gonna interact with. Don't come into the office or open your laptop when working from home and decide what your plan is based upon your inbox because your inbox is now setting the theme which then allows the procrastinator in you to now deal with that email rather than the thing that with more purpose that could have been more impactful, that you could have done at quarter past eight, you're now gonna do it at 10 o'clock. And then the fourth, and perhaps the most disgusting of all four, is the horseman called blame. And blame is when you start to realize things ain't going as good as they could, things aren't as rosy as one was imagining or hoping, Perhaps when that prediction that was intended to be a forecast doesn't come in. It's not my fault. It's not my fault, right? She went back for that third interview. It's not my fault that she asked that question and that put them off. It's not my fault that they low-balled her because she's unemployed. It's not my fault that no one's getting back to me. It's because no one's hiring at the moment because no one's got any money. It's not my fault that no one's taking my call. It's because no one answers the phone. Right, all of these things, blame. Blaming things to move the ownership of the result to something that feels like it's outside of our control. And every time we do that, it's not my fault because. 
it's not my fault because every time we do that our circle of influence gets smaller and smaller and smaller because what we're creating is a disempowerment of ourselves to take ownership of the things that have happened because it is more comfortable to blame someone else something else than it is for us to blame us and that's why blame is a bit of a bastard because when blame inhabits you you start to feel like a victim and you end up in a drama triangle and when you get stuck in a drama triangle for too long, it feels really difficult to be able to get out of it. So to get out of your drama triangle, just stop for a moment. Anytime that you start to blame something or somebody for an event that has happened, just sit back for a moment and think, how did I contribute to us arriving here? What did I do that perhaps got us to this point? Or what did I not do that could have helped us to avoid it? And when you own what you do, when you have greater levels of accountability, you're far more likely to produce your right results. So just think about those four horsemen, people. When you think about complacency and assumption and procrastination and blame, they're real and they're out there. And they so want to inhabit you. They so want to possess your thought process. And when they inhabit you, they then take on one of your colleagues. And as they start to take on more people in the business, you can end up with a culture that starts to change because those demons have had too much opportunity to start to get involved with what you're doing. So people, however it is that you want to interpret those things and think about how you protect yourself and just become more aware of the early stages of possession, the more likely it is you're going to protect yourself from being on the wrong end of the four horsemen of the apocalypse. So hey, there's a cheery end. We'll go to episode three and I'll try and be more upbeat, maybe a little bit more positive. But seriously, folks, those four things, those four things are so prevalent and so easy to banish. And it has to start with an element of self-awareness and a bit more accountability and maybe a stronger plan in place because they say the devil makes work for idle hands. So what that means is if you haven't got a plan and you don't know what you're doing and with what purpose, your hands are going to be a little bit idle, which means you're open to distraction. And as you become more open to distraction, you might catch yourself suddenly getting involved with things that aren't meaningful and impactful to help you to be able to make money, but they just become something to do. So you end up involved in a poll on LinkedIn about whether a hot dog is a sandwich, which isn't anything to do with your market, and may not have an impact on a client's perception of whether they want to work with you as to whether you get it right or not, but it just becomes a displacement because somewhere you're procrastinating on not doing something and you're probably procrastinating on not doing something because you hadn't put enough thought into what are the most impactful things that I could do today with energy that will ensure that I'm in a zone of focus so I'm far less prone to being distracted by some of the things in my peripheral vision that become more noticeable because I don't have something front and center to do. So maybe a more robust plan, a bit more purpose.
a bit more focus and a bit more energy could make all of the difference for you. Or maybe as I'm sharing that, it's not for you, it's for the person you sit next to or someone else in the team. So feel free to share this episode and give somebody else the opportunity to become a demon slayer and the exorcist of those four horsemen. And I'll see you, I hope, on another episode really soon. Thanks for listening. And remember, if there's anything I can do to help, just drop me a message.